This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Avoid the Maze. Now, we're not going to avoid the subject today, but when I talk about avoiding the maze, it means that if you're experiencing something, uh, sometimes you get to a roadblock. You're not really sure if it's real or not real, and so you just sit there staring at this blank wall. But the reality of it is you need to take a step back, take a deep breath and keep following a path, make it a path that is good for you. We're not talking about good for anybody else. My guest today is Christina Foxwell and the subject she talks about is domestic violence. And some of us have experienced it. Some worse than others um and it's not all about the hollywood movies because the hollywood movies sometimes get it right but not always mm -hmm. so christina welcome to avoid the maze and i asked you before we started why do you want to talk about this subject because it can be heart-wrenching thank you karen and thank you for having me on the show and hello to everyone who I think we have to talk about the subjects no one wants to talk about. In my work, I do a lot of coaching and often we only see the output of a behavior, right? And when you said this to me, there's a key thing. We have to talk about shame. We have to actually walk through it in order to be free. But the thing is, we don't want to because it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And shame says there's something about me that's bad. I'm bad. And those are the domestic violence messages that get thumped into us. Sorry for that word. You know, you know, be it emotionally, physically, what you know, we get we get treated as if we are bad. There's something about us that's not worthy of love. And if we don't talk about these things, we can't heal. You know. As I told you, I went through a form of domestic violence. Um, it was mostly verbal. Um, and it always was, well, you didn't understand what I said. I didn't mean it like that. Um, you know, you're stupid. So, uh, of course, you're going to take it the wrong way. And I remember calling my parents. And this is back in the days when calling long distance cost a hell of a lot of money yeah. and yeah. <laughs> uh i would uh call collect so they would turn around and call me back and as soon as i would say something to my mother or father they would say you made your bed you have mm -hmm. to sleep in it mm -hmm. and you know i kept saying but he tells me i'm fat he tells me i'm ugly he tells me i'm stupid he tells me i'm not a good mother he tells me if i do one more thing he's gonna have me put uh in a psych ward i said i need some support mm -hmm. but i realized why my parents weren't giving me support because they lived six seven hours away they never saw this in our relationship mm -hmm. and i always called in a panic never did i try to call just to talk about it um do i wish they would have listened to me absolutely they finally did but those words i kept hearing mm. uh, they were more hurtful than if he would have slapped me around mm. 
You know, so I experienced mental and verbal abuse, a little bit of physical. And I agree that when the mind is so tortured by what you're told you are, and when you're gaslit, it's almost like you're in a torture chamber um, oh. with no way out. And you've got two choices. You either believe what you're being told about yourself in order to keep the peace. And even then the peace isn't kept. <laughs> um, or you somehow try to escape the control. But what I what happened to me was even when I left the control, because I had it for about seven years, I couldn't function without it. Interesting. So I, and you know, my, my story, that's why I talk about domestic violence, because I try to pretend it, I was so tough, I made it through. Ugh. Okay. Uh, but the toughness was just the external shell I created, so I wouldn't feel. And eventually, my trauma caught up with me. And that's why we have to talk about it to your point. Um, but when we ask for help, and we're in it, we either don't ask for help from the people that can help us because we're so ashamed or when we ask for help because we've seemed to have had this perfect life. No one believes us, you know, because generally partners like that come across as being amazing to other people. Right. And then people either think there's something wrong with you, like they're telling you there's something wrong with you. Or you actually are questioning your own sanity because you've been gaslit so many times. You don't know what is reality and what is not reality. That's how you feel. Does that sound like it happened to you like that, oh, Karen? Abs absolutely. Um, and the interesting part was that when, um, where we were living, it was his hometown. Um, yeah. So our friends were his friends who became my friends. Yeah. Um, and so I was being very careful um, because they knew him first. And yeah. I wasn't, I didn't know who I could trust and who I couldn't trust. Uh, and what was interesting was that even though I didn't get the support I needed from my parents initially, um, I called my oldest brother who I didn't know he was going through marital issues, had nothing to do with domestic violence, but it was just marital issues. And when yeah. I called and I said something to him, he goes, well, it's about time you shared this with somebody. So as a male, Same. he had picked up on this. Um, and I think for my parents, you know, and I don't know, I never asked, but I think uh, they felt, you know, well, you got married, you love him. You know, you got to make the most of it. And, you know, that was nice if I could have. And maybe if I would have worked on it differently. But it was just so hurtful that when we finally did divorce, and the first time I was asked out, I said to uh, the guy who asked me out, I said, why do you want to go out with me? I'm fat, I'm ugly, and I'm stupid. And mm -hmm. he goes... Are we talk? Am I talking to the same person? Mm. And it was like, well, yeah. And he was very specific. He said, um, so you're fat, 
can you tell me how much you weigh? And I said, well, you don't ask a woman that. And he said, no, 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 no. If you're fat, I want to know. And I think I told him, at least I told him my dress size or something. He said, well, that's not fat. Mm. And he said, ugly. Um, whose words are those? He said, go look in the mirror and then come back to the phone and tell me if you're really ugly. Mm. And it was the first time somebody was questioning Your those thoughts. voices in my head. Your thoughts. 100%. And he was a brave man. Yes. And he's remained my friend all these years. Um, didn't marry him, didn't have a relationship with him, but the best of friends. And it, that's what it took. It took somebody who could see it. And then my brother who could see it as well. So, but you said that you, you went through this for seven years. Mm. When did you start questioning yourself if, if you really were going through this? So I'll, I'll share with you. We started dating when I was 17 and that's when it started, but it was slow trickles. Um, and the control was there all along the way. And initially I fought it. Um, but I came from a religious home. You know, you don't sleep with someone or have sex with someone and then don't marry them. My dad was a Pentecostal pastor. You don't do that. He grew up in the same community, church community as us. So um, he was a riot squad policeman in apartheid. So he saw vicious things. It's not an excuse, but I'm, you know, I have to call out truth in many directions. Um, I didn't have a voice because I was molested at the age of five and my, uh, my parents hushed me because of the ministry. So I didn't know I could use my voice to create boundaries to to protect me. Um, are you are you hearing? I'm painting this beautiful picture, right? All I wanted was to be loved to show that I'm not dirty or bad, right? So when I met this man who was a who could control me, uh, he created a space for me that he would give me love conditionally. And I was in that and I was in that process of being able to exchange love for worse I'll give you my self-worth if you give me love you see it's easy to say we have an abuser it's not easy to say let me rephrase that it is hard to say I have an abuser because I, I asked myself how did I let that happen but letting it happen isn't a now thing it's a journey thing because so, as yeah do you do you think like some some other women who i've talked to who have been through these situations that this was something you had to go through to really find your self-worth and your love yes i look back at my story and i could be angry but had I not given my worth to him, I would have given it to someone else. That's my story, please. That's not everyone's story. That's my right. story. Okay. And all I wanted to do was to be seen and to be loved and to feel better about me. 
but hoping someone would make me feel better about me. And what I realized, and only years later, truthfully, I mean, I was really angry with him the, the, and the affairs he had behind my back and all. I mean, I've written a book around all of this, which is, but it's about healing. It's not about the story of violence. It's about right. healing uh, because I put it all away. As I said, I showed the world how tough I was. I treated men really, really badly until I met my now husband. And he saw me and loved me. And as our marriage progressed, I started doing the same things with him, which was giving him my worth in order to trade love. And I sat with the therapist and he said to me, you're so good. You teach corporates because you see corporate world is very structured. You, right. you treat corporates how to give feedback to each other and how to use their voice. But you're not using your voice at home. I was very angry with the therapist. I was like, grumble, grumble. And then I was like, yeah, I need to use my voice. How do I do that? How do I get enough courage to use my voice? Because my PTSD and trauma was, if you use your voice, the 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 backlash will be tremendous. So you never use your voice. The shaming and the punishment will be tremendous. So you don't use your voice. But I had to use my voice to save my marriage now, to save me. And then so, I had to... And, and that's, I learned that, but I learned it the hard way because I would argue with him when he would tell me these things. Yeah. Um, and it didn't make it worse because there were more threats that sounded more plausible. Um, yeah. And like I said, I didn't know who to go to if I could go to anybody at one point. I suggested we go to couples counseling and Ooh, he that said, becomes a tricky mess, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he said to me, you can go, but there's nothing wrong with me. And I said, okay, why don't you come and tell them all the things that are wrong with me so I can, I can change. Um, and obviously he didn't want to do that because he, for whatever reason he wanted out. And the more I think about it, that's what it was, that he knew that I had a short fuse and mm -hmm. I wasn't going to take it for long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I took it for about as long as you did. Uh, we were married all of seven years. Um, we had a child who was three years old at the time that we separated and got divorced. Um, and some of those nasty words were used as our son was growing up. Yeah. But the interesting part, and I want people to understand this, you know, I didn't try to change him. No. But there came a day in his life where he started to change, realizing what he had done, not knowing why he did it. And he, he told that to me on a phone conversation one day. It was probably 20 years after we were divorced. And I said, why are you telling me this now? And mm -hmm. he said, because I'm trying to heal. 
And I thought that is huge. That is huge. I, uh, and I commend him for doing that. My first husband, who is also my second husband, um, he still won't acknowledge his part and I'm not, I won't fight him on it. Um, but our daughter who is now 27 and a mom of almost two kids, she's about to have my next grandchild. When he started doing the same with her and we moved, I moved countries to, uh, to start a new life, but he, uh, he's tried to do the same with her and she set a boundary in place because she'd been working with me and she didn't talk to him uh, for years. And then eventually when my grandson was about to be born, I because spe- he kept phoning me <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's her choice. But I said to her, why don't you think about this? If you don't work through what's wrong and anything happens to your your dad, You'll carry that with you. Why don't you just clear it for you? It's not about him. And she did. And she now works with him in with boundaries. And I think he's learned a a lesson differently. He's learned something which I'm not sure he'll own. But he almost lost something that he felt was precious for him. And he still doesn't like me, but that's okay. I don't need to be liked or loved by him. I love me and that's the most important thing. And I have a beautiful family and he has a beautiful family. So I release him with love. Because harboring anger, I hurt. Well, and many of us do harbor it for a long time. Some hold on to it because they think that they need to. Um, I harbored a lot of anger for a very, very long time. Um, And especially because uh, when our son turned 11 years old, um, he took him into the court and where he could say, Hey, I want to live with my dad. And my son did because dad offered a, a lot more money, a lot more extras than I could. And, um, I didn't initially think of that as abuse, but it became abusive because uh, he would refuse to let my son talk to me. He would refuse to let him come to visit. Um, And I didn't want to lose my son's love and respect. And so I tried not to say anything bad about his dad. I just let him know that he was loved. He could come anytime he wanted. He could call me anytime he wanted. Um, And it took him until he was an adult to finally say, thank you for doing that because um, I could have learned to hate you because of the hate in the house. Mm. We can't change other people. And that's sometimes what all of us try to do if we are facing domestic abuse. Um, Absolutely. And I knew I couldn't change them. And I lived with it until one day I just said, I've had enough. And it was like that simple saying it, but it certainly wasn't simple healing. Oh, no. Which is where shame comes in again. See, I have to walk through that story. 
I use this analogy. I've got to walk through the story and seed it with love. Recognizing I did the best I could in that moment with what I had and recognizing that's all they have. That's so all where they have. did you get that wisdom from? So, so I'll share with you where the damn wall broke for me. So I went through this abuse and then I had various partners because I was struggling. I mean, I've been engaged more times than I want to tell you, and I've been married a few times, right? So I have the ability to navigate love, but not keep it. Remember, I already said I exchanged worthiness right. for, love, for love, right? Uh, but my now husband and I were together, my son from a previous relationship and then marriage uh, was going through uh, mental trauma because I arrived here when he was three in Australia from South Africa. My daughter was uh, 10, 11. And so it was hard for the kids and it was hard for me, but we settled in. Um, but my son got bullied at school and anyway, it escalated to the point where he was uh, not going to school. So they sent us to family um, therapy, the, the state, the government, uh, to see if they could integ integrate him back into school and, you know, what was going on in the family dynamic. And I was a workaholic because it was the only place where I could take care of my family without needing to have a man in my life. I didn't want to trust a man, even though I've got this beautiful husband, um, because I was let down so many times that all I could do was trust myself to be able to provide. And then, of course, enjoying the work I do because it creates, um, it created a sense of satisfaction for me that I wasn't getting from my personal life, right? Anyway, I've, I'm running this practice, the one that I own now. And I walked into the therapy room with suitcases. I had a town car waiting straight after we had one hour. And then I was going to the airport and I was flying away for a few days um, to deliver work. And the therapist watched me as I walked in, younger woman. We sat down. We started talking about the challenges. She looked up at me and she said, do you think you could work less? Boom. It was like an atom bomb going off in that room. Because I'm seeing my son struggle. I already feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mother. And all I'm trying to do is provide. And when she said that, he piped up and went, she does this for me. And gosh, I love him for that. So I, I had one of those moments. I looked at my husband and it was, it was quite traumatic. I said, that man doesn't have to take care of me. He's got no responsibility to me and my children. I might be married to him, but he could leave me. And it was just awful stuff I said. But it was my pain just pouring out in that moment. Um, she phoned me afterwards and said, Christina, you have PTSD. And your son won't heal until you heal. I said, so can you help me? She said, no, I'm a family therapist. That is not my job. <laughs> you need to take control of this yourself and find a therapist and sort yourself out. I said, but I'm a coach. Like I coach Brene Brown's work. I like, I do. She went, I don't care if you're the president. I don't care what you know and who you know. It's time for you. And we don't take that time. Most we bury ourselves. Why would in, we? Uh, exactly. 
we've been told we're not good enough. Yeah. Why would we, why would we spend time on something that is shame related for us? Why would we go and, you know, I spoke to someone about this. So they said, why would I want to walk through that pain again? And I have to say to you, it was excruciating. It was excruciating to open that door. It was excruciating to walk through that story. And it was excruciating to let it go. And then I was free. I sat with my therapist. He was an American man. He is an Eastern life. He's an American man. He's a doctor of psychology. He sat with me. He said, right, Christina, what are we doing? I said, I just want to be free. I'm so tired. I've been carrying this for so long. I just, I want to surrender. I can't do this anymore. I think he thought I would commit suicide. And actually, as we started working through the shame, I felt overwhelmed. Um, because because of this, I lost my church community. Um, I got ostracized. Um, people told me I should have prayed and he would change. I can't, I can't tell you the stuff people did um, and said to me. And so I, why would you want to go there? That felt even more scolding than the abuse I, I'd, I'd, you know, right. received. And that's why people don't want to talk about this because other people judge them. They judge them on their decisions and then they compare and go, well, I stuck it out, you know. Well, it's not about sticking it. This is not about how tough we can be. This is about the quality of our life and loving ourselves enough to know we're worth more than this. You know, I agree with you that when we talk about our situations, it's not about one upping somebody. No. And I sometimes find that that's what people think it is. Um, one of the reasons I do this podcast and we talk about difficult subjects is life is full of difficulty. And okay. we all do have a choice to accept the difficulty or work through it or walk away from it. And women for many, many centuries um, haven't been as strong as women are able to be because they were told, you know, that's not your part in society. You know, it's his part to be strong. Um, I know when I finally walked away from my marriage. Um, I shamed myself because I was yeah. waiting for everybody else to do it. So, so I, I did it first. <laughs> and all those things I did to myself yeah. before anybody else did. Um, and it wasn't until I met my current husband um, about three years later that. Um, I knew what a really nice man was about. Kind. And there's still days that every once in a while he'll <laughs> say something and I'll think, oh my God, you know, he's turning into, but he's not. I have to realize it. No, that's not what he said, but my brain still has that history. Of course, your trauma goes off, your your trigger goes off. Um, you know, Karen. 
when when those triggers go off for us, our defense mechanism kicks in, our behaviors change, and then we create the future we really don't want. Yep. And over the last three years, I've been practicing mental fitness work, uh, which is about mindfulness, presence, and rewriting my story with love. And I tell you, the freedom is unbelievable. It is just, I know when I'm going into trauma now, I recognize my thoughts. I can start working through my reflection of letting go of negative emotions and moving into a present state where I'm wise. Do you know how much effort it took? But do you know how wonderful it is? But you had to do it to get to where you are today and to get to through tomorrow. Work. Yeah. I had to do the work. Absolutely. And you know what? I am not allowing shame to take away the love I need to give me so that I can love others. So tell me about the book, because there are individuals who write a book and, oh, it's my story. Um, but lately I'm hearing the book isn't so much about my story. It's about the situation the situation that so many of us face. Yeah. So yeah. how, what was it like when you sat down and said, okay, I'm going to write. So this is my fourth book, but the first two were more metaphors. So people think they're kids stories, which I'm okay with. <laughs> uh, and I did have beautiful artist illustrations. And then the third one was a coaching guide, which was part of the journey. This one was needed to be told. And I, and I wanted people to relate to it because we've all got a story and I broke my book into three parts because of course, why would I try and write it just normally? I have to do it. So the first part is an analogy and a metaphor because I work with metaphors of a glass angel that these, all these perfect angels are so perfect and the wind takes this angel and thrashes her to the ground and she shatters and she sees her brokenness. What she does is she ties her brokenness to her because all glass angels do that, that break. And the pain of her brokenness pierces her every day to remind her she's broken. And so she starts fighting and surviving and creating this life, but she becomes a warrior to protect herself and to be somebody. She has to fight to be somebody. And every time she might hit a milestone or get somewhere, it doesn't make the pain go away. It still doesn't make her feel whole. And one night she wakes up and she walks into the desert and sitting up next to a fire is another angel. This angel is beautiful. Actually, this angel's name is Ava, which is love. And this angel asks her to sit down. She's a bit weary. You know, do I fight this person or this angel or do I sit? But she feels peace, so she sits down. And he tells her a story of how he was a broken angel. And how he was, he gave her this name, Praelia, which was this unbelievable warrior that they had in this uh, place where they lived. But he disappeared and nobody knew what happened to him. And he said, well, I was always other but my pain turned me into Praelia and I am Ava. And the only way I became who I always was, was to release, to forgive, to love. 
and to love my story, to love me. And he teaches her how to be an alchemist. So he teaches her how to release the pain. And as she does that, golden strands leave her heart and collect all her broken pieces and her wings are back together. And she's called to walk this earth to help other angels find their alchemy because we're not broken. We're just on a journey. We just have to find a way to be free. And that's how I start my story. And then I share components of my life, of the journey. And I mean, I could have written probably a, gosh, a, a novel. And people have asked me, why did you not go further into your pain? And I was like, because it's not about the pain. It's about the healing. And when we, of course. When we settle on the pain, um, and I was in a group session last night, and we were talking about, um, you know, just feeling good about ourselves. And I said, I can do that today. But growing up and almost to the age of 50, um, I really was my own worst enemy. I wanted to tell people something negative about me before they would say it rather than say something positive about myself. Um, and now it's totally turned around. But what turned it around was that um, I was working in corporate America, loved what I was doing, hated the culture. The culture was killing me. I went into a deep depression and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I could be shameful for feeling the way I am, that I can barely get out of bed, that I can barely do my job, that I look at my husband and I wonder why am I married to him? <laughs> All these things. And instead I said, no, I'm going to accept for right now I'm depressed because I've taken on too much. I haven't looked at that glass being half full. And I don't know when I'm going to, but that is my purpose now in life, to see that glass half full. And within a day, I contacted a doctor. Within a week, I was with a therapist. And it was like, I can cry now. I can get it out. And you know what? Maybe I didn't find the actual source, but I did find that I didn't want to hold on to all the sadness that was in my life because I, I was creating mountains mm -hmm. and really mm -hmm. it was just a piece of sand on the ground. Karen, but this is the thing. When we are so connected to our pain, it's heavy. Yep. And it's not about ignoring our pain because that's what we've been trying to do. Let's <laughs> be real, right? Yeah. It's about accepting it for what it is. Exactly. Accept, acceptance is the gift. It's, it's not about accepting the story of the negative thoughts. It's accepting the grief. It's accepting the loss. It's accepting that I feel pain. It's accepting that all of that still does not mean I am not good enough or I am not worthy of love. It just it means I accept that I have emotions and I'm a human being and Absolutely. they are not good or bad. They just are. See, we're trying to, we try in our lives to say, this is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. 
but I'm a human being that's so complex. And maybe I've got to accept that my life is beautiful because I believe my life is beautiful. I believe that my story around domestic violence has brought me to this place where I have an amazing space to work to help people. It has turned me into who I am. It has helped me have my beautiful child. It has it has navigated me to a journey where I live in Australia and I am, you know, I have this, I, don't, I can't even tell you, my life is so different. I, I have this beautiful little home. I've got two cats of which one was screaming next to me just a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, I, I have this wonderful space to be me, not to be what others said I wasn't, but just to be me imperfectly, beautiful. And see, and, that's the love. And it's our purpose in life is to be ourselves, to be totally. authentic. Um, and hopefully, you know, these words are being heard by the younger generation so that they know that, you know, bad things can happen, but mm -hmm. nobody else is going to fix it other than ourselves. Um, and it's tough. But you, like you said, I'm where I'm supposed to be now. And what happened in the past, it's past. sadly, was a learning experience. Totally, it's past. Yeah. I can hold on to it and scream about it and fight it. Or I can look at it as a journey for me, learning for me. See, as I wrote these parts of my journey and my, my story, I was reflecting on Brene Brown saying we could rewrite our story. She said it years ago, but I was in so much pain that I wanted, I didn't know how to do it. See, I, there's two things you've said. Firstly, be who we really are. We need to find who we really are. And so in my book, my last chapter, my last section, I talk about alchemy practices and it's falling in love with who you really are. Who are you? I see, I didn't know. All I knew is what I was told I am. Right. And there's a, there's a practice that we do in positive intelligence where we find this picture of ourselves as a little child and we see that face, that innocent face with all the, and I have this face of this picture of me looking at my brother. I'm so cheeky. Karen, I'm cheeky and filled with love and I've got I've got freedom and energy and 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 just kindness and I know who I am. I'm her. I'm me. And I choose that every day. So you mentioned positive intelligence. And for those who don't know what it is, um, you can Google it. But I just completed um a six-week positive intelligence, and now yeah. we are in uh, group sessions, and mm -hmm. um, it is so enlightening. It, you know, I mentioned last night at group. I don't have a backpack on, and they looked at me and they said, "Are you sure?" I said, "Oh, some days I do, yeah, mm -hmm. but the majority of my days I don't." And I said, and I have to go back and say that the six-week course, at first, I hated it. I didn't understand mm -hmm. it. 
I fought it, but yeah. I stuck with it. Good. And I think that's part of the healing process that it is. you don't have to give in immediately. But if you become mindful, you allow yourself to be aware. You stop judging everything you do. Um, it's it's mind-blowing, actually. It is. And to be sitting here last night, and all of a sudden, I just like moved my arms. And I'm like, I said, ladies, I have to tell you, I'm not wearing a backpack anymore. <laughs> and the excitement, yeah. because now I have people who I'm working with who yes. understand. Yes. And uh, it's it's a phenomenal program. And obviously, mm -hmm. that's part of your coaching, right? Absolutely. So we've been running it here for about two years. And I coach it. I live it. I've gone through it four times. I run a cohort every week. So when one stops, another one starts. And um, I had all this healing. I just needed to go to that next stage. And I think positive intelligence helped me with that because it gave me the courage to write my story. Because in one of the groups, one of the modules, as you go through the program, You've got to look at your life and you've got to consider the gift, the stories that were most difficult to navigate and how do you turn it into a gift and opportunity. Um, and all the work I'd done just came colliding into that moment. And that's when writing this book became real easy because I'd written the analogy, but I never knew how to write the story. And now it's and out there for all of us to read. It's out there. I want people to read it because I've blended it with acceptance, commitment therapy, uh, positive intelligence, CBT, really just looked at it from different angles and I worked it. As I wrote it, I released it. Love it. As so I wrote it, I released it. Tell us the name of the book and how we can find it. Okay. So, uh, Karen, you're going to send me your address and I'm posting you a copy. Okay, thank you. Okay, and I'll send you another copy so you can give a copy away. Okay, we will do that as How well. How does that sound? Okay, so um, it's available on Barnes and & Noble and Amazon. It's called The Glass Angel, A Guide to Freedom, Growth and Transformation, Unlocking Potential. And now For all um, of you listening, all the information regarding Christina will be in the show notes. So there's no excuse. When you say, you know, I want to reach out to her. I want to yeah. see her website. I want to hear everything that she has to say. You can do that. Um, I also have to say as a coach advocate, coaching is something that can be remarkable for all of us. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've been working with coaches now for the last five years yeah. and I'm not the same person, um, and yet I didn't change so dramatically that my friends and my husband don't recognize me. They recognize the positivity in me. And, you know, my, my fear was in the beginning that I was going to change and everybody was going to run away from me. But instead, what I have found is many of them have uh, found a coach on their own, have made changes as well. 
And again, the differences that I see, they're just positive. It's not something that you can actually put your finger on and makes for such a wonderful life that you can wake up every morning and say, okay, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, and the sun doesn't come out in the wintertime. <laughs> but I know it's behind those clouds. <laughs> oh, you know, it's true. And because I focus so much in the corporate space, I've got such compassion for people who sit in jobs and are miserable um, and executives. I sit with so many CEOs and you know what? They're so miserable because they feel people let them down. Yeah. And I've got compassion. I've been an executive and it's such a, such a hard job. Um, and so I went into this because I wanted to make a difference. And now corporate organizations help get me to coach their people so the organization is better. I mean, come on. Is that not progressive? Uh, they don't always know that I'm going to bring love into the workplace, but I do that. That's my gift to you. Uh, I teach you how to love each other and yourself in the journey. It's just marvelous, but I never put that in a proposal. Otherwise, boards will probably not sign it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I encourage everyone to reach out to you. Um, I'd love to have you back on. We oh, have another show yes. called Grief Belief. And Ooh. domestic violence fits grief belief, you know, 110% that some of us just don't know how to give it up. Or when we do, uh, people think, how did you do that so easily? So stay tuned. I will be in touch with you real soon. And it was such a pleasure talking to you and keep that smile on your face. Thank you. And thank you for the space and holding it for me. And much love to you and to all your listeners. And may this episode today just touch their hearts. Thank you again. Have a great day. I send you love.